Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Welcome back, listeners. Hey, y'all. So before we get started today, I wanted to take a quick second and give another podcast some love. So in the beginning of February, we had a listener message us on Instagram, and she told us how much she loved us and that she had just found out about us from Crime Wives. And Amanda sends me the message and was like, what is Crime Wives? So we started Frantically. I was like, who's this? Yeah. So we started (laughs) digging and found that Crime Wives podcast released an episode on Derek Todd Lee, who was our first episode on February 5th is when theirs came out. Which was our six-month anniversary right. that it came out on. Right. So that was just crazy. So I started listening to their episode and imagine my surprise when I heard them reference our our podcast as a source. Like, I and you know, I don't know how you found it so, so quickly because I was listening to it and then I had sent it to you. I started listening to it and then you're like, I found it. They listed us. I'm like, what the yeah, I like, like was zooming through trying to see. Um, and flatter does not even fully explain how I felt. Like, I was fangirling for real. Yes, like the host basically said they were impressed that Derek Tully was our first episode. Which was, quite frankly, terrible. <laughs> I, I hate our first four episodes, so anytime anybody gives us any love about that, that's... I'm like, oh, stop. <laughs> and so if you guys hear this, thank you so much, Crime Lives. And if y'all need a new podcast, definitely it's, check... It's uh, Ronica and Destiny are the hosts. Right. Yeah, definitely check them out. Um, I started listening to them, and I really love them. I do love their podcast. Yeah. I love them. But again, thank you, Crime Lives. Um, you've definitely gained two new lifelong fans in Amanda and myself. And I think they come out on Wednesdays, too, right? Yes, they do. So, women supporting women. Yes. So, I wanted to give one more shout-out before we get started, and so if any of you guys listening today are here, because Sideline Sleuths also covered a case from the same county as our case today, and the host recommended us, welcome, and I want to say thank you to Megan and Jasmine for for shouting us out. Um, You guys are the best, and if you aren't here because of Sideline Sleuths, definitely go check them out, because Megan and Jasmine are great. They are the bomb, and they get, they drop new episodes on Fridays. Yes, so check them out. And now that we did a couple of shout-outs, let's get started. Um, today's episode has a lot of people in it, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time because it will likely get confusing. I got my pen and paper at ready. At some point. <laughs> um, so, you guys don't mind if you hear Amanda scribbling notes while I'm talking. Aggressively scribbling. <laughs> right. Like, I legitimately wanted to start a string board while writing this episode. Um, because my head was, like, spinning. So. Yeah, and the only thing I know about this episode is what Megan and Jasmine said. So oh, great. Um, even, I almost wanted to plug my ears when I listened to their episode yesterday <laughs> because I was like... Right. So, I'm sorry if this episode is all over the place or confusing, but you've been warned, so let's get started. And in case you couldn't tell from the title, this episode covers the brutal executions of an entire family. Holy crap. So, here's your trigger warning. If that's something that's going to bother you turn our episode off so it's kind of been a trend lately to just kind of jump right in so and now we're switched we've really switched it up yeah. from you know from six months ago right so on the night of april 21st 2016 and i guess into the morning of april 22nd okay like early mm-hmm. like midnight ish early morning um eight relatives were shot in the head execution style in four separate homes oh wow spanning 15 miles in piketon ohio the homes were quite close together. I'll get there. Look so, at me. <laughs> the victims' ages ranged from 16 to 44. Oh, my God. And three children, a three-year-old, a six-month-old, and a newborn baby, just five days old, <gasps> survived. They were all unharmed? Mm-hmm. So, the morning following the murders, so the morning of April 22nd, Bobby Jo Manley went to her sister's home on Union Hill Road in Pike County, Ohio, to feed the family's pets, and she discovered the first set of bodies. So, what did, I mean, this is probably irrelevant, but, like, was she, were they supposed to be out of town, like, for feeding the pets? I'm not sure if that was just something that Yeah, it's like, was it a coincidence? Like, I'm not sure. That's weird. So, 
She called 911 at 7.53 a.m. and said, quote, I think my brother-in-law's dead. There's blood all over the house, end quote. Whoa. So authorities responded to the mobile home and found the bodies of Christopher Roden Sr. and Gary Roden, Christopher's cousin. Oh, so it's not just, a, like, an immediate family. No. It's, like, extended yeah. family. Right? Oh, my gosh. And authorities then searched three residents that were like adjacent to each other on the like same little plot. Village. Yes. And then they searched another like nearby camper and they identified eight victims in total. Oh wow. So I'm going to I'm going to go through all the victims and then I'm going to go into Yeah, please. <laughs> like I'm going to list the victims first and then I'm going to go into further details. So first was Kenneth Roden, who was 44 and he was the brother of Christopher Senior, who we just talked about. Okay. How old? And we didn't get the Christopher's age yet. Yeah, there was Christopher, and then there was Christopher Roden Sr., who was 40, and he was the brother of Kenneth Roden and the father of Frankie, Hannah, and Christopher Jr. Frankie, Hannah, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm right now. And Christopher Jr. Okay. And, then, and we don't know their ages. Or those the the ones that were unharmed? No, I'll get there. Okay. So then there's Dana Roden, who was 37, and she's the ex-wife of Christopher Sr., and the mother okay. of Frankie, Hannah, and Chris, Chris, Chris Jr. Jr. Yeah. So, the f- wait, that was one, two, three, four. So the f- one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Hmm. I have to, you've listed seven. Well, no, I just said they were the parents of those three. Right, right. Did I say? I think I skipped one. Did I skip Gary? No, you said Chris, Gary, Kenneth. The three oh, I didn't. I didn't say. Dave. I didn't say Gary's age. My bad. So Gary Roden was thirty-eight, and he was the cousin of both Kenneth and Christopher and, Roden. And Kenneth and Chris are brothers. Yes. But you said eight people were killed. Yes. So that's four. Kenneth. So far, Kenneth, Christopher, Gary, and Dana. Roden. Okay. The four of them. Then there's Clarence Frankie Roden, who was twenty. The oldest son of Christopher Sr. and Dana. And the father of the surviving three-year-old and the six-month-old. Oh, God. Three-year-old and six-month-old? Yes. We're both for Frankie. And then Hannah Gilly Uh was 20. And she was the fiancé of Frankie Roden and the mother of the surviving six-month-old. So, there's, there's two Hannahs, but... So Hannah Gilly was engaged to Frankie Roden, and she was one of the victims. And then there's H- Hannah there's- Hannah Roden, who was 19, was the daughter of Christopher Senior and Dana, and the mother of the surviving five-day-old baby. Oh, there's two Hannahs. Yes. Whoa. So and they're just a year apart. Yes. And then she's the mother of the five-day-old. Yes. Okay. Whoa. So like Frankie has a sister named Hannah and a fiance named yes. Hannah. And then. The last victim was Christopher Roden Jr., who was 16, and the son of Christopher Sr. and Dana. So it was... Oh, wait, he was 16? 16. So it... Essentially, they wiped out the entire... Like, Christopher Sr. and his entire family. Him, his ex-wife, and his three kids, and one of his son's fiancés, and his brother and his cousin. And so the three-year-old... And the six-month-old were his grandkids. Yes. And the five-day-old. Oh, yeah. But from a different... Yeah. Yeah. They... Yeah. So, his grandkids. Yeah. Who were left. see these notes. Yeah. So, after discovering the first bodies, Bobby Joe ran to a trailer that was also located on Union Hill Road, which, like, adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, So, she ran to a trailer that was located close to where Christopher Sr. and Gary were found, and she located the bodies of... Clarence Frankie Roden and his fiance Hannah Hazel Gilly. Mm-hmm. Hannah was shot a total of five times, including a shot through her eye. Oh my gosh. And two children were found unharmed in the home. Gilly's six month old son with Frankie and Frankie's three year old son mm-hmm. from a previous relationship. Uh-huh. The six month old was found sound asleep between his dead parents. <gasps> yeah. Oh, no. And the three-year-old was asleep on the couch during the murders, and he actually opened the door when his great-aunt, Bobby Joe came knocking on the door after she found Christopher Sr. and Gary Roden dead, like, next door. Oh, no. I know. The three-year-old's mother was contacted about 8 a.m. after the discovery of the bodies, and she, like, was, I think she was at work, and she left work, picked up her mom, and raced over there, and... 
um, to check on her son because, I mean, she didn't know. Yeah. And thankfully, um, you know, he was unharmed and this is... She was interviewed by Cincinnati.com and she said that her son has told her, quote, I picked up daddy's hand and it just fell, end quote. Oh, no. Like, that is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever read. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest, this... (sighs) This episode was hard. It just... Ugh. I mean, they all are, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, yeah. a three-year-old going and finding his dead dad, and they don't understand. That's one of those things that you pray he does not remember. Right. Like, they don't understand. You know, and, like, they don't know and, uh, what you know, death is I mean, at that, at that point, and, it could have been seven hours. Yeah. You know, depending on what time the, the murder the actually happened. It ended, yeah. Right. So, um, I'm so, like, anxious to hear about suspects. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. So, <laughs> after calling 911, Bobby Joe called her brother, James Manley, who found more members of the Roden family murdered at a third Union Road location. He found Christopher Sr.'s ex-wife, Dana Manley Roden, his sister, uh-huh. and her daughter, Hannah Mae Roden. Hannah's newborn daughter, who was, like, just a few days old, was found unharmed but was asleep in the bed next to her mother's body. And Hannah's two-year-old daughter, Sophia, she has another daughter Uh who was not there that night. She was with her her father, Jake Wagner's family that night. Oh. Jake Wagner. Yeah. Keep that in. Yeah. You um, you heard the episode. I heard Megan. Right. From sidelines say Wagner. Right. So that little light bulb. And so if you notice, I... Listed Christopher Jr. as a victim originally. They didn't find him originally. He was like the last discovered? No, there's... They hadn't found Kenneth or... At this point, police had not found Kenneth or Christopher Jr. And they've already been to three locations? Yes. Okay. So they haven't been to the fourth. So as police began working the three crime scenes, they quickly realized that you know, one member of the Roden family was unaccounted for. Like I just said, Christopher Roden Jr. And everybody called him Little Chris. And that was... He was the 16-year-old. He wasn't... He was the baby. He wasn't fiancé of anybody. No, Frankie was the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. The oldest was the one who was engaged. Okay. Everybody called him, you know, Little Chris. Mm -hmm. Um, And... People originally began to speculate that maybe he was the shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but around so around noon on April twenty second, twenty sixteen, same day, like four and a half ish hours later, um, another nine one one call came in, and this time it's from a cousin of Kenneth Wayne Roden saying that he found Kenneth shot once in the eye about four miles away from the Union Hill crime scenes, and Kenneth, like I said, was Christopher Senior's brother. So, Chris Jr.'s uncle. Mm-hmm. And so, now that's seven, seven of the eight victims they've found. Recovered. Yeah. And the last of the eight victims of the Roden family, Christopher Roden Jr., was finally located by police after a search of his home. Um, Chris Jr. was found in the same home as his mother, Dana, and his sister, Hannah. So, I don't know if they had just missed it. I think he was on the side of the bed, like... From from a documentary I was watching, I think he was like on the side of the bed between the bed and the wall or something. That's so shoddy maybe they, police work. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know how they missed it, but look, don't shoot the messenger. I don't. That's I don't shoddy know. police work. Yeah, but continue. And as I already alluded to, the three year old little boy was returned to his mother, mm-hmm. but the six month old little boy and the newborn little girl were both taken into protective custody and remained in foster care during custody proceedings and. Um, it's been reported that the younger children remain in foster care, but they are allowed to be visited by immediate family members. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found their names, but their kids, yeah. I didn't want to. Yeah. Well, besides Sophia, because she's very important to this whole really case. Right. And who is Sophia? She's um, the two-year-old that Hannah and Jake shared. The one that was at Jake's that was house. At, with Jake's family Seven. that night. Yeah. And she's two? Yes. Well, she was two at the time. Yeah. According to the coroner's report, the eight victims were shot a total of 32 times. Chris Roden Sr. was shot nine times. Oh, my gosh. 
and all of the victims were shot more than once. And some of them also had bruising, which police took as evidence that they may have been, like, beaten prior to being shot. Hmm. Yeah. But according to the coroner, all but one of the victims were shot in the head, execution style. Christopher Roden Sr. was shot in the chest. And they think, they, because they think they shot everybody else while they were asleep, and maybe Chris, they think, he was they awake. think that Christopher Sr. might have woken up, and that's why he was shot in the chest, or mm. so... So, what followed the gruesome murders was the largest homicide investigation in Ohio history. And as the police's investigation started, they believed that the murders were premeditated and meticulously planned. Well, I would guess so. I mean, to just take out eight members and, of the same family. And leave the babies unharmed. Right. Right. And so, the police told the public that these were most definitely execution-style killings, and they were there were likely multiple shooters. Especially, you know, if you're coming into, say, like, Frankie and Hannah Gilly, his fiance, mm-hmm. If they're in the same bed, if you hear mm-hmm. your, a, a gunshot go off, I mean, if you're going to wake up. Awake, yeah. So, you would think you would need two shooters. Or, I mean, I guess you could shoot people quickly, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, it's not my area of expertise. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, as the investigation continued, police began to suspect that the victims knew their shooters and the shooters seemed to be really familiar with the rodents' homes. And as I said before, three of them were located, like, on the same property, like, mm-hmm. family property. Mm-hmm. And I'll get more into that. But So, according to an article on thedailybeast.com, by the end of the investigation, investigators would follow more than 1,100 tips, conduct 550 interviews, serve more than 200 subpoenas, search warrants and court orders, and test more than 700 items of evidence and travel to 10 different states. What? And you're saying all these numbers, and I still don't think I'm, like, grasping, like, how extensive this investigation would have been. Yeah. Um, and that was in, like, a two-and-a-half-year time period. Okay. So that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, but, but I mean, this is Like, such... 550 interviews is a lot. Mm-hmm. The tips, I'm not really surprised with the amount of tips. Because some of them are just... Yeah. But, um... And the number of subpoenas, 200? Mm-hmm. And 700 I- items of evidence? Well, that doesn't surprise me either because there was four crime scenes. True, and... true, true. Yeah. And eight victims. Yeah. So, originally, police had little clues, no witnesses, and no idea of the motive, you know, going into it. Well, they better get so, up because I don't want to hear about this. So, former, former Ohio Attorney and I say former because he was the Attorney General at the time yes. this was going on. Yes. Now I think he's governor. I think. Mike DeWine. Yeah, let me look it up. Hang on. I want to make sure I'm not lying to y'all. Mike DeWine. Okay. Yeah, he is the governor of Ohio. Anyway, so, but like I said, at the time, he was the attorney general. So, former Ohio attorney general Mike DeWine gave a statement shortly after all the bodies were discovered telling the public, quote, the people of Pike County and the victims' families have the right to know the truth, mm. and they have the right to know who did it, and they have the right to have these people brought to justice, end quote. That's a run-on sentence and a half. <laughs> right. Governor. Well, he wasn't governor. At the time. But naturally, the small town of Piketon, Ohio, was reeling from the news of the rodents' brutal murders. For perspective, Piketon, Ohio has about 2,100 people. Holy crap. So, basically, just the definition of small-town America. You know, like, basically, this does not happen here, you know? And people of Piketon were terrified. I mean, residents of Piketon were interviewed on the Oxygen documentary that I watched. And I think it's called The Murders of Piketon. I'll put it in the source list. But um, the general consensus, consensus was that people no longer felt safe in their homes, you know, where people would previously never worry. They would leave their doors unlocked, you know. So now people were, you know, freaking out. And, you know, one person being murdered in Pike County was unheard of, much less the murders of eight people, you know. yeah. So, and the rodents were very well known throughout Pike County. You know, there were many, many people interviewed in the Oxygen Special Oh, that's the name of it. The Piketon Family Murders, if anybody wants to look it up. Um, and the people interviewed just had nothing but, like, really great things to say about the family. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got 
some of this background and most of this background information from that I'm going to go into. So Christopher Roden Sr.'s parents moved to Piketon, Ohio from Kentucky about 50-ish years ago. Mm -hmm. And so when Chris's father died in 2008, Chris and his eight siblings each received a share of their parents' land. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of Chris's siblings moved off, moved away, moved off of the land. But Chris decided to make his home not far from where he grew up Mm -hmm. in Pike County. You know, he stayed. And... Chris married a local girl named Dana Manley in 1994, and they settled on the land that Chris inherited from his father. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris was known to work construction-type jobs at the Big Bear Lake Resort in Lucasville, Ohio, and Chris's wife, Dana, worked as a full-time nursing assistant. And as we know, they had three kids. Uh-huh. Um, but after 13 years of marriage, Chris and Dana decided to call it quits and get divorced, but they decided to stay close for the sake of their family, so Chris moved into a different mobile home on the same property with his cousin Gary, which Chris and Gary were found in, in one, one mobile home, and Dana, Dana and, and the, the three kids. kids were found in another one so, on the same property. Yeah. Which, honestly, if you can co-parent that yeah. way and get along, that's pretty awesome to me. And live in the same, Right. You it's, know? it's just easier for everybody. Right. So, according to Gary's brother... On the Oxygen documentary, Gary was a mama's boy, but he was really a great person. And Chris's brother, Kenneth Roden, who also lived just down the road, um, and Gary's brother also spoke about Kenneth and said that he would do basically anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like I said, Chris and Dana Roden had three children. The oldest was Clarence Frankie Roden, who was 20 years old, and according to the Oxygen documentary, Frankie loved girls, being outdoors, hunting, and cars. And he was also really into Demolition Derby, Mm -hmm. um, which he shared that with his younger brother, um, Little Chris. So, Little Chris was often referred to as the wild child of the bunch. And 19-year-old Hannah Roden was Chris Sr. and Dana's only daughter and the middle child. Okay. And Hannah had two daughters, two-year-old Sophia like I said, whose father is Jake Wagner, and a newborn baby girl. And Frankie's fiance Hannah Gilly, was also murdered, and friends described her as positive, caring, and someone who just always put others before herself. And, you know, I like to talk about... Personalize. Right, talk about the victims. Some. But in the wake of the murders, the media kind of descended upon Piketon. Once it went national, people just... The media just completely showed up and the media showed up in Piketon, Ohio and began questioning any and everyone. Reporters were even going to the school and harassing the kids. I can't, I really, yeah. What drives me, this is kind of off the rails, but like, like when I see a local story come out and I mean, it could be the slightest flaw in the story. It could be a freaking typo. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, it just irks me that they got to be first at the punch and they don't that they can't even fix their type yes right i I can't stand it right so you know with it being small town america the rumor mill began to kind of turn and the first was that this was a murder suicide but that was quickly disproved because the victims were all shot multiple times which rules out murder suicide because if if you're going to shoot yourself you can't shoot yourself more than once right well you would think you couldn't You'd be pretty weak to do it, to pull it a second time. Right. So, Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder immediately called in resources to assist in this case because he knew it was more than his small office could handle. I mean, a yeah. town of 2,100 people, you're, you're not like, equipped to handle yeah. that. The Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine, the Ohio BCI, which is the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, several different neighboring sheriff's offices, and the FBI all came in to assist in the investigation and they formed a task force and police received over a thousand tips originally however none of them panned out Mm -hmm. so during their search okay so this is where it gets kind of crazy and off the rails (laughs) it's been crazy girl (laughs) so during their searches and investigation police discovered caged roosters breeding chickens and other equipment consistent with use in cockfighting rings. 
And this was in 2016? We still mm-hmm. do that around here in 2016? I guess. And there was suspicion that maybe a feud from the cockfighting ring could have Money, led yeah. to their deaths. Like, you know, but police eventually determined that a disagreement over cockfighting didn't result mm-hmm. in the Roden family's death. And police also looked into Frankie and Chris Jr.'s love of Demolition Derby to make sure there weren't any disagreements related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing ever they're came of that angle out all the e- either. Right. They're just, I mean, they had the no idea. Right. I mean, at this point in the investigation, you kind of just have to throw everything at the wall and Shot see what dark, sticks. Yeah. So eventually police began to hypothesize that due to the sheer number of victims and the existence of four separate crime scenes, like, like I said, they had to have been multiple shooters. And I've said that. And but, they've had to know them. Yeah. And all of these people are still on the loose. Right. And at what point in the time frame is this? Do we know? Oh, this is like days. Yeah. Days after the murders. Because yeah. from what I'm feeling out, from something you've said previously, that it took a while. Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't a quick thing. But we'll get there. Well, hurry up. Come on. <laughs> so, Attorney General Mike DeWan came forward to inform the public that on April 25th, so four days, right? April 21st, yeah, yeah. four days after the murders, investigators discovered a large marijuana grow operation at three of the four killing sites. So it took them four days to find it? I guess. This was at the Union Union Union, Union Hill, Hill Road. Yeah, Union Hill Road. It was at those three properties. I guess it it was probably... That's where they live, right? Yeah, that's where they lived, but I think it was like a huge um, farm. Not farm, but like a huge amount of land that they the family owned. So I guess oh, it so was not necessarily a, in the backyard. No, I think it took them a while to. And I'll post picture. I found pictures. So they ended up seizing around two hundred marijuana plants that they believed to raise indoors for commercial purposes for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and these plants were worth about half a million dollars. A one plant, the two hundred plants. Oh, total. No, the plants that they seized were worth about $500,000 total. Okay. So, the news of the marijuana grow operation fueled even more rumors. Mm-hmm. Messy, messy. So, people and police began to consider that a Mexican drug cartel might have been involved in the murders. And I was like, what? Mexicans don't... Okay, wait. Just wait. But apparently... that I thought this was funny, too, but apparently Pike County, Ohio is a big drug trafficking area and for all 2100 people go ahead (laughs) and really like who knew but apparently since the legalization of marijuana has been on the rise in the u.s uh, mexican cartels have started growing marijuana in the u.s instead of taking the risk of having the marijuana cross the border because it might get seized i mean so it's not federal i don't know hmm like, a, it wouldn't be a federal charge if it was... No, because if, if, say you're growing marijuana in Mexico to sell in the U.S., to traffic into the U.S., why would you not just grow it in the U.S.? Right, right. That's, that's, that's what they Well, it doing. eliminates that possibility of it being a federal charge with you transporting. Oh, right, yes. true. For distribution. But I guess, like, I, I guess I don't understand drug cartels and stuff, because I was like, why are they worried about marijuana? Like, why don't they just do, do cocaine or hair, you know? Like, I thought they were... Mexican tar- cartels no, are more are, worried about the big stuff. No, there are marijuana cartels, apparently. Or, or drug cartels that deal with marijuana. I wouldn't know. Right. So, police were concerned that the rodents had, like, wor- like previously worked with the cartel and maybe crossed them. Got caught up. Right. Uh, or were, like, competition for the cartel, which, right. like, led to their deaths. And I thought it was weird that Ohio, like this right. tiny town in Ohio, but apparently it's off of like a main highway that like runs through the whole U.S. But the fact that the shooters left the young children alive sort of led police yeah. away from the cartel theory. Yeah, because cartel members don't tend to have like yeah, a heart and a soul. Right, like if it had been a Mexican cartel hit, they likely would have just killed everyone, even young children and babies. Like they yeah. don't care. No. So that's why they were like, well, this person at least has somewhat of a conscience yeah. you know that they left sliver of one yeah that they didn't kill these three kids and so after thoroughly chasing those leads police eventually determined that although the rodents were involved in illegal activities the marijuana and the cockfighting these activities didn't lead to their murders so back at square one naturally 
So, shortly after the murders, police began looking into the rodent security system. Because apparently, I, they have a security system. And I guess if you're growing marijuana, you need a security system. <laughs> so, um, but a review of the security system didn't show anything. But in addition to the rodents' cameras, they also had a pair of large dogs that, according to those who knew the rodents and their dogs, would have attacked. Or at least alerted the rodents if anyone, like, unknown to the dogs had showed up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they'd go crazy. Um, I don't know what kind of dogs it was. Um, in the, Aggressive like, ones? Well, in, like, the Oxygen um, special or documentary, they did, like, some reenactments, and they showed what looked like Rottweilers. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. It was if a that, Yeah. I mean, it was just big dogs. Aggressive like, dogs. Like, guard dogs. Yeah. So, police began to suspect that someone, or multiple people who were really familiar with the rodents and their dogs and their property was the shooter or shooters. Because, you know, if it was somebody coming the up... the dogs knew... They wouldn't have freaked out right. and alerted them, you know? And they were, like, outside dogs. Yeah. Like, guard dogs, like I said. So, with little leads panning out, police began to look into Dana's siblings who found several of the victims, Bobby Joe and James Manley. They're married, right? No, they're brothers. Siblings. Brother and sister. Bobby Joe and James are, are Dana's Siblings. sister and brother. Oh, I thought they said something about sister-in-law or brother-in-law. Oh, no. It Bobby was... Joe found her brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. So, police questioned Bobby Joe and wanted to know why she was there that morning. Like, you Yeah, like asked, I did. Like, yeah. where them people at? Yeah. So, she told them that she was there to feed the dogs and she insisted that she had nothing to do with the murders. And eventually, Bobby Joe agreed to take a polygraph, and she ends up taking several, but she passed every single polygraph, so police eliminated her as a suspect. Guys, look. It worked out for Bobby Joe to take a polygraph, but, like we always say, don't take a polygraph. They're probably going to think you're suspicious if you don't do it, but... Don't take a polygraph. Yeah. yeah. They're not foolproof, and they can sometimes give incorrect results. They're admissible, right? Inadmissible. Inadmissible. And police cannot force you to take one, so just don't don't take a polygraph. They're unreliable, which is why they are not admissible in court. You cannot use a polygraph in court. As evidence. As evidence, no. So, don't don't take a polygraph. If, If you take nothing else from this podcast, don't take a polygraph. I've taken three polygraphs. Have you? Yeah. For why? Pre-employment. <laughs> what? Yeah, you have to, like, it's like ba- real basic questions. They like, li- they made you take a lie detector test yeah. for employment? No, Pre- thank you. For the sheriff's office? Oh, yeah. You are yeah. a okay. special one. Yeah, I am. I did it for St. John, JP, and St. John. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they tell you the questions that they're going to ask you before. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do that? Yeah. That's weird. Because, like, they ask you if you, like... Um, have you ever stolen oh. over a certain dollar amount? Oh, okay. Um, have you ever been in- involved in any sexually deviant acts? And I'm like, what? Um, uh, what was the other question? Have you ever... Define sexually deviant. <laughs> well, he did go into details, that, um, oh. including animals or children. Uh, I was like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> this escalated. So the one in JP was a little different than... Yeah. Like, they had, like, 15 questions versus oh, okay. the 10. And then, um, like, have you ever bought or sold drugs? And I'm like... I did buy them, but I wasn't undercover. Oh, right. So, yeah. Um, or, ha- when's a, like, have you used drugs in the last two years? Oh, okay. And, like, that won't necessarily... Disqualify yeah, you? Yeah, but they want to see if you're... I mean, you, if you're going to be truthful. Yeah. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, so, once they cleared Bobby Joe, um, police started looking at Dana's brother, James Manley, mm-hmm. as a suspect. Police even went as far as to put a tracker on his truck which he eventually found while working on his truck one day and removed himself. What? Can you can you do that? If you find a tracker that police put there, are you can you remove it? Um, if you didn't yeah, know it was can, there? Yeah, you can remove it. And it's not illegal cuz they you have to get a search warrant to do it. Yeah. So Okay, so they put it on there legally. He just didn't he know. He just didn't know. Yeah. That's crazy that you don't have to tell you, but so, just like in Bobby Joe's case, police never found anything linking James, linking James to the murders, so he was also eliminated as a suspect, and Bobby Joe, Dana, and James's parents are were understandably upset, 
that the police were even looking into their other kids in relation to the murder of their daughter Dana. And I can get, I can understand why yeah. they would be upset. But police, they, police have to look at every single angle. And unfortunately, sometimes that means, you know, investigating, investigating relatives. Right. Because, you know, a lot of times it's it, not... It's somebody uh, it's very not, close to you. Yeah, a lot of times it's not a random a random perp, you know. It's some... Perp. You know, it's somebody really, really close to you. Mm-hmm. Especially in this case when they were like, it's got to be somebody known to them. Mm-hmm. Because they knew... They seemed to know their way around the house, the houses, and where everyone lived. And, you know... And there were the four do- crime scenes. Yeah, and, and, and then the dogs. Yeah. So... And the dogs weren't harmed. Yeah. So... So, on May 12, 2017, so this is a little over a year after the murders, mm-hmm. police searched a farm which had recently been sold by George Billy Wagner. Who that is? Jake's father. What Jake, is- Sophia's dad. Yeah. And Wagner. his wife, Angela. So, so, George, Billy, Wagner, and Angela. Yes. Are mom and dad to old Papa Jake. Well, he, he's actually... Billy Wagner's the third. Billy, George Wagner the third. Oh. Jake's brother is Are you gonna... George Wagner the fourth, so that's why I'm telling you that. Wait, Jake is the fourth? Jake, Jake's, Edward Jacob Wagner is Jake. Okay. But Jake also has a brother okay. and you're gonna named him. George Wagner the fourth. And you're going to mention yes. him? Yes, he okay. is involved. That's why you're, oh. He's important. Jake so, is so ugly, but go on. So, police searched three separate properties owned by the Wagner family, and the Wagners were one of the most prominent and wealthy families in Piketon. They were even referred to as royalty in the Oxygen documentary. However, mm. no arrests were made related to these searches. So, they were just suspicious of the sale of three properties? Is that what you said? Or just one? Mm. Well, the, the farm. They, oh, they, the farm had been recently sold. But they searched three. They searched three okay. properties. Yeah. So not long after the one-year anniversary of the massacre of the Roden family and Hannah Gilly, but I consider her part of the family. Right. I mean, she was Frankie's fiance. And after several searches of their properties, Jake Wagner, his parents Billy and Angela, and his brother George the Fourth, and Jake's daughter Sophia, just up and moved. 4,000 miles from Ohio to Alaska. What? Have you seen the proposal? Yeah. You know, when she's like, where are you from? And he's like, she's like, he says he's from Alaska, and she's like, Alaska. Like, because she doesn't know. I, I couldn't read that without thinking that. But anyway. So, the Wagners told the media outlets that the reason for their move was, inc- was the increased media scrutiny that, you know, they... And that they had been planning this move for a while. So, naturally, the Wagner's sudden move to Alaska just made the police even more suspicious of the Wagner family, which they had already kind of been looking into them. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, suspicious. Like, yeah. Yeah. You just take your whole family, sell all your property, and up and move, like... I mean, I guess. 4,000 miles away. And they probably didn't have any privacy with the media. But they're also... Well. Yeah. So, the Wagners eventually returned to Piketon after being in Alaska for just over a year. I would not want to live there. In Alaska? Hell no. No, my cousin lived in Alaska for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Her husband was stationed there in the Army. Yeah. And... She was like miserable. She's like, "There's nothing to do. All it does is snow." And yeah, one of she she ended up not staying the whole time. I think she came back and waited for him to come home because she was just like so miserable. One of the one of the, one of the girls at Hill Cincy that I know, she just moved from Alaska to Oklahoma, but her husband was in the military. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know. She, she's from here. Oh wow. And I'm like, how? But I'm trying to hit up Lizzie in Hawaii. Let's let's do the opposite. <laughs> right. So, eventually, details regarding the custody battle between Jake Wagner and Hannah Roden over their daughter, Sophia, started to emerge. Mm -hmm. So, Jake and Hannah were dating, and their relationship resulted in a daughter named named Sophia, Sophia, who was two at the time of the murders. So, but at some point, Hannah decided that she didn't want to be in a relationship anymore in the spring of 2015. So, So a year before Mm -hmm. the murders. And so the baby would have been like a year. Mm-hmm. And Hannah retained full custody of Sophia. However, Sophia spent a lot of time with 
both the Rodens and the Wagners. Like, she wasn't malicious about her custody. Not that I'm aware of. But, not, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, most times, judges will give the mother full yeah, custody. Yeah, it's not unheard of. But, at some point after breaking up with Jake, Hannah got into another relationship and becomes pregnant again. And Hannah gave birth to another baby girl, and as we already know, just five days later, Hannah was executed while she slept next to her newborn baby girl. The father of Hannah's second daughter was alleged to be Charlie Gilly, the brother of Frankie's fiance Hannah Gilly, who were also murdered. Whoa. Wait a minute. you got to slow down. Right. So, so the not, Jake was it's not... It's not Frankie. Or no. No. Frankie was her brother. Yeah. I'm, yeah, because Frankie's... The other Hannah. Yeah, the other Hannah. So... Charlie Gilly so, is so Hannah sibling of Hannah him. Roden allegedly had a baby with Hannah Gilly's brother. Charlie. So they just did a si- sibling Sim- swap. I guess, yeah. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm on track. Yeah. So just six days after Hannah Roden and her family were murdered, Jake Wagner filed for custody of Sophia. Jake's request for custody was granted in June 2016. So right, not shortly after. Right. Um... Sophia actually turned five in November of 2018 while she was in state custody. Oh, so he did, she didn't go to him right off the bat. Like, she did. Oh. He had her. Oh. There's a reason she was in state custody, but you know. Oh, stop it. So, this part got me because that makes Sophia the same age as my niece, even down to the month. And, I was about to say, and as just, your own kid? As <laughs> my niece. I know. And just six months older than my own daughter. So this one hit really close to home. Now I'm going to talk about the arrests. Thank you. So on November 13th, 2018, which would be why Sophia was in state custody, um, police arrested South Webster, Ohio residents Edward Jake Wagner, along with his brother, George Wagner IV, and his parents, George Billy Wagner the third and Angela Wagner, for the murders. And if so you, two and a half, over two and a half years later. Yes. So well, just about. Mm-hmm. If you remember, Jake is Jake Wagner is Sophia's father, the child that Jake shared with Hannah Roden, and I think we've established that. <laughs> um, one key piece of evidence, a homemade gun silencer was recovered during October 30th, 2018 searches of a property that previously belonged to the Wagners. It must have been that farm. The silencer was sent to the lab to be processed, and when results came back on November 7th, which is my husband's birthday, <laughs> um, a grand jury was convened a week later, like a week after that, mm-hmm. and the grand jury ultimately indicted all four Wagner family members on multiple charges, and we'll go through the indictment in its entirety shortly. So, I want to talk about the gun silencer for a quick minute. Police have never officially, I'm doing air quotes, said where the silencer was found, but the evidence list for the trials of the Wagners made public in January of 2019 included seven photos that prosecutors provided to the defense team of an item that was recovered in late October from a well on the on an Adams County property that was owned by George Wagner the fourth and Edward Jake Wagner until March of 2017 which is when they moved mm-hmm. so or, around, only, or right before they it moved. was it was owned by the two sons. The sons yeah the evidence list didn't identify the item but from what I just said that key piece of evidence the gun silencer was found in late October and we already said that you know it was found yeah October 30th and they said that the pictures were of an item that was found in late October so I'm willing to bet the silencer or parts used to build the homemade silencer Mm -hmm. were found in that well Hmm. so all four members of the Wagner family were arrested simultaneously to avoid the family talking to each other and trying to get Mm, their story straight actually I don't have the exact I had the exact times and I meant to add them but so, um, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure the dad was arrested in, like, Kentucky um, at some equestrian hospital. So, to back up, Billy Wagner's mother, Frederica Wagner, owns Flying W Farms, which is a horse farm. Okay. So, he has, 
and they found him hiding in like a horse trailer or something outside of an equestrian hospital in Kentucky. And I think the other three were arrested at home in um, Ohio. Yeah. Um, but they they even had like the times. They arrested them at the same time. When I say simultaneously, I mean within minutes mm-hmm. of each other. They executed those search all four search warrants and That's arrested, how they took it. all of them into custody. I've, I've been on on the radio mm-hmm. like. Pretty much. That's that's. It's so crazy. It's such an adrenaline rush. Yeah, too. and such I'm not a, even out there doing it. Right, like such a concerted effort. Like mm-hmm. to, you know, during the press conference announcing the arrests, Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder told re- reporters, "Quote: Members of one family conspired, planned, carried out, and allegedly covered up their violent act to wipe out members of another family. They did this quickly, coldly, calmly, and very carefully, but not carefully enough." End quote. Mic drop. Also in November 2018, Jake Wagner's maternal and paternal grandmothers were both arrested in relation to this case. So both grandmas. Um, both his mom's, mom's mom, mom and, and dad's mom. The grandmothers, Rita Jo Newcomb and Frederica Wagner, were charged with perjury and obstruction of justice and were released after posting bond. Newcomb, was accused, who is Angela's mother, mm-hmm. was accused of forging a custody document, obstruction of justice, and perjury. And Frederica Wagner was accused of obstruction of justice and perjury. Both women pled not guilty to all charges and were on house arrest while awaiting trial. So, in December of 2019, Rita Newcomb... Wait, like a few months? Two months ago? Yeah. Oh, wow. Rita Newcomb, 66... Well, yeah, they were just arrested in November of 18, so this case is relatively current. Yeah. So, in December of 2019, Rita Newcomb, 66, withdrew her not guilty plea and instead entered a plea of guilty to an obstruction official business charge, which is classified as a misdemeanor. And as a result, the other charges of perjury and forgery were dismissed. And the judge asked Newcomb if she was coerced into changing her plea to which she replied, quote, it's not a good Christian thing to lie, so I don't want to do that anymore, end quote. All of a sudden, you have a conscience? So you were beat. You were committing perjury. <laughs> anyway, she was originally accused of forging custody documents regarding Sophia and then lying about it to a grand jury and investigators. Um, Newcomb has not yet been sentenced and no date has been set. For, some for her guilty plea? For her sentencing. She pled well, guilty yeah. in December. But she hasn't been sentenced yet. I'm not sure why. Or why they haven't set a, a date. put a Google alert on that. Yeah. But um, she faces up to 90 days in jail. And the judge has released her from house arrest and ordered that her ankle monitor be removed. She ain't gonna do no time. She's 60-some years old. Right. But he reminded her that she still must adhere to the conditions of her bond and that she's not allowed to have any contact with any of her other relatives charged in the case. So, Frederica Wagner, this is the paternal yeah, yeah. grandmother. Yes. Her charges of perjury and obstruction of justice were dismissed by a judge in July of 2019, and Frederica maintains her innocence. Prosecutors accused her of assisting in covering up the murders by lying about purchasing bulletproof vests online. What? Yeah. But according to her attorneys, receipts prove that she purchased the vest after the murders. Okay. I want to see the receipts. Yes. <laughs> although the charges, although the charges were dropped, investigators obtained a search warrant in November of 2019, and spent four days searching Frederica Wagner's Flying W Farms 2,000-acre property, which includes at least one pond. Oh, jeez. But all authorities released was that the warrant was related to the Roden family murder case. But they haven't said if they found anything. Mm-mm. So, as promised, we're going to talk about the indictment. So, an indictment filed on November 13, 2018 in Pike County charged the four members of the Wagner family as follows. George Washington Wagner III. He does not deserve that name, but go ahead. So, count one, aggravated murder of Kenneth Roden by use of a firearm that is an automatic firearm or that was equipped with a firearm muffler or suppressor, so a silencer. That is a really specific charge. Yeah. 
The indictment also alleged that George Wagner III committed the aggravated murder as part of the purposeful killing of or attempt to kill two or more persons. The indictment continued that George Wagner III committed the aggravated murder while committing, attempting to commit, or fleeing immediately after committing or attempting to commit aggravated burglary. And either George Wagner III was the principal offender in the aggravated murder or if not the principal offender, committed the aggravated murder with prior calculation and design. So premeditation. So capital. Capital murder, right. So to me, what all that is saying is that George Wagner III planned, then executed the murder of Kenneth Roden with a firearm equipped with a silencer and while trying to rob him. That was like a mouthful. Yeah, Ohio needs to reword their stuff because they need to, yeah. What's it called when they amend it? They need to do that today. So, so counts two through count eight against George Papa Wagner. Papa Wagner. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Counts two through eight are aggravated murders of, we already said, count one was Chris. Kenneth Roden. So, so counts two through eight for aggravated murder were Christopher Roden Sr., Gary Roden, Clarence Franklin Roden, Hannah Hazel Gilly, Dana Roden, Hannah May Roden, and Christopher Roden Jr. with all of the same specifications that we previously talked about yeah, in count okay. one. Um, so so he, they're, they're implying that he's the mastermind. Not necessarily because they charge them all the same. All four of them the same. Okay, but... Okay. But, so they... I guess they're covering themselves by saying that each one of them individually was either the principal or or participated in the planning of it. So they're covering... So, but... CYA So, but they they labeled Kenneth Roden first as the first victim? Count one, yeah. Which he was the one in the camper. Not on Union Hill Road. I don't know if there was any rhyme or reason to the numbering. Yeah. But. Because my guess, but I, I, after, like, listening to everything, I feel like Hannah Gilly. No. I, I keep getting the Hannahs mixed up. Hannah Roden would have been first? The baby mama. His baby, Jake's baby mama. Because that's the link? Yes. No, I, I, no. she's not the first count, but. Okay. So, count nine, and this is still on the dad. Count nine was conspiracy to commit murder, which is a first-degree felony. Counts 10 through count 13, which was four counts of aggravated burglary, which is a first-degree felony. One count for each location. Mm-hmm. Um, count 14, unlawful possession of dangerous ordinance, fifth-degree felony. Counts 15 through count 17, three counts of tampering with evidence, which is a third-degree felony. Count 18, forgery, which is a fifth-degree felony. Count 19, unauthorized use of property, which is a fifth-degree felony. Count 20, interception of wire, oral, or electronic communications, which is a fourth-degree felony. Um, Count 21, obstructing justice, fifth-degree felony. And count 22, engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, first-degree felony. So they hit him with 22 counts, just the dead. So, the rest of the Wagners, Angela Joe Wagner, George Washington Wagner IV, and Edward Jacob Wagner, were all all charged with the same 22 charges as the dad. Jake Wagner also had an additional charge, count 23, for unlawful sexual contact with a minor, which is a fourth-degree felony. And he was charged with this last count because at the time his daughter with Hannah was conceived, Jake was 20 and Hannah was 15. Oh, dang. So, they hit him with that, too. So, did that hold up? That, I'll get there. That was a lot. And I will say this. The state of Ohio was not playing around Mm -hmm. when they leveled these charges. And honestly, good for them. Like, I feel like they threw the book at them on this. Well, I mean, I'm not going to jump to that yet because they got appeals and they got... Well, and I guess let I, me let me hear the end of this, and we'll let. Well, and I guess I guess you put all these charges on them just to because to have enough for them to maybe plea it down, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, I get well, so salty with that. Well, you're not you're not gonna plead to the death penalty, Mm-mm. but you know. So according to the indictment, the Wagners allegedly used parts from a lawnmower to make their own homemade gun silencer. Some redneck kind of. Right. Also, according to the indictment, the Wagners purchased shoes from Walmart to use for the murder. 
They also purchased gun ammunition, a gun magazine, and a brass catcher. And a brass catcher is something you attach to the gun, which is meant like to catch the shell casings so as they're ejected, so you're not leaving shell casings. These facts were included in the indictment as support for the conspiracy charges, like premeditation, basically. Mm-hmm. They, the indictment also alleges that the Wagners forged documents, including custody documents. According to the indictment, prior to the murders, the Wagners surveilled the rodents' habits, routines, sleeping locations physical layout of properties and counter surveillance devices present on the properties including pets um so they were like basically stalking these people like like that creepy surveillance van right that's supposed to be an ice cream truck but no it's not Mm -mm. they're really watching you um, according to the indictment, the Wagners also hacked into victims' social media accounts, which I think that probably is related to, which count is that? Count 20, interception of wire, oral, or electronic communications. Because I know when I read that one, you were like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I read that they hacked their social media accounts, and they possibly hacked, like, their texts or something. Y'all doing too much out here. Right. Like, why? Over custody? Like, over your kid yeah which i i don't know people do some crazy things for their kids so i don't know the indictment accuses the wagners of destroying and tampering with evidence of the crimes including a video recording device which edward jacob wagner had purchased in march of 2016 a month before a gun silencer video and trail cameras belonging to the victims and phones belonging to some of the victims moving the body of Christopher Roden Sr. and the body of Gary Roden and providing false and misleading information to authorities. So, as I said before, all four members of the Wagner family have pleaded not guilty to all charges and are currently in the pre-trial hearing phase awaiting their actual trials. Because this is likely a death penalty case, they're going to be tried separately. Yeah. So, I know we usually don't cover cases where the trials haven't happened yet, and I don't like to, because I like to know what happened. Yeah, but I need closure. I, I just want to say that all, all accused are presumed innocent until proven guilty, so do not come for me trying to sue me for libel or slander. I am just presenting the facts of the case as they were reported. Y'all can draw your own conclusions from the information I have given you. Um... Again, the accused are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CYA, I have to say that. So, George Billy Wagner III, Jake's father, was in court for a pretrial hearing on December 9th, 2019. And during this hearing, his defense asked for an extension to file uh, substantive motions, and which was granted by the judge. And... They stated that the reason for the extension is so that they have time to comb through the files and evidence um, that they have and compare it to what the prosecution has. Mm -hmm. Um, Billy Wagner was actually back in court recently on February 11th, 2020, which was what, two? 11 days ago. 11 days ago, yeah. So his attorneys voiced their frustrations with, or their clients' frustrations with parts of the case Specifically that Billy's upset he can't always meet with his lawyers in person to go over the evidence. Yeah. Don't knew, kill I, somebody. I knew you were going to have a problem with that. Don't kill nobody. Right. Girl. Instead, he has to meet with them via video conference. And his lawyers continued that they're concerned that he wouldn't receive a fair trial if the trial were to be held in Pike County due to the limited audio-video capabilities of the older courtroom. But prosecutors responded that if Billy's trial is, in fact, held in Pike County, they would bring in updated video equipment. Oh, I thought you were about to go with the jury, but no. And the prosecution and defense attorneys plan to have a meeting to discuss the discovery, like the evidence, uh-huh. on March 13th, 2020. And Billy Wagner is due to return to court on April 15th, 2020. Woo. But that's not Tax trial. Tax day. <laughs> that's not trial. That's though. still pretrial. Yeah. So, Angela Wagner, Jake's mother, was in court for a pretrial hearing on December 11th, 2019, during a prior September 2019 hearing for Angela Wagner. They were Wagner. just arrested in November, right, of 2019? 18. 18. 2018. Okay. So, during a prior September 2019 hearing 
for Angela, the judge ruled that she was no longer allowed to make phone calls or write or receive letters because, according to prosecutors, Angela and her mother the had been that, communicating. The one who had been ordered not to yes, communicate. Direct so violation. that would be a violation of her bond, mm-hmm. right? It should have been. Why is she not back in jail? And the other three Wagners, the dad and the two sons, were in court in as recent as this month, February 2020. But I haven't seen where Angela was in court. Because usually, they're, they're being tried separately, but they usually will have court pre-trial dates like the same week. Yeah. So, Edward Jake Wagner was in court for a pre-trial hearing on February 10th, 2020. So, the day before his dad. Mm-hmm. Jake's defense filed four motions, one of which was to hire an evidence coordinator for all the defendants. And the judge said the court would consider it, but it would be, quote, quite a bit of cost, end quote, which was estimated to be $80,000 or more. The hell? Yeah. The prosecution is still working to turn over all of their evidence to the defense. Um, The prosecution has previously described the amount of evidence in discovery as, quote, voluminous, end quote. And the prosecution and defense are planning to meet on March 13, 2020, like I said, about his dad and his dad's. Because they, they said the same date to go over the discovery. Yeah. Jake's attorney also wanted to go on record to say that some inmates in Franklin County Jail, where Jake is being housed, um, have been trying to get Jake to talk about his case, which is not allowed. But his lawyer... Is it not? It's a, they have a gag order on them in this oh, case. Oh, But the Jake's attorney continued that he doesn't believe Jake is discussing the case, but the court should be leery of any inmate that may come forward claiming that Jake has. So Jake's next hearing is set for April 8th, 2020. Put him in solitary. You won't have that problem. (laughs) So George Wagner IV was in court for his pretrial hearing on January 21st, 2020. His lawyers and the prosecution were discussing the defense having access to all the evidence that the prosecution has and ensuring that the prosecution hands over all evidence to the defense by the end of January 2020. Um, The assistant prosecutor also agreed to direct the defense to which of the conversations, recordings, and evidence that the prosecution is likely to use at trial. Because, you know, the defense has a right to see what evidence the prosecution has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't see another date for when he was going to be in trial or the mom, but I'm assuming it's going to be sometime in April because it's when the other two... Are going to be there. Ohio's right to a speedy trial means that someone facing a serious felony charge must be brought to trial within 270 days. However, each of the Wagners have waived that right. So, who knows how long the trials could be delayed. We and just had that trial with the officer shootings and it had been six and a half mm-hmm. years. So, as of this recording, the official no. trial dates for the Wagners have not yet been set. It wasn't six and a half. 2012 to oh, to seven and a So, according to the Inquirer, the state has paid more than thirty-seven thousand dollars for funerals for the Roden family members. What? Mm-hmm. And it, the state has also agreed to pay an initial one hundred thousand dollars for the trials of the four Wagner family members charged with the murder, but it will likely cost the small county more than one billion million dollars for with all the cases. M- M, yeah, with an M. So, current Attorney General Dave Yost is concerned that the cost might cripple the small county. So, state lawmakers will need to approve that spending. Yeah. So, um, kind of, that's, so that's, I mean, that's, that's where we stand. Um, I just want to reiterate before we wrap up that the Wagners have not yet been to trial. So, they have not yet been convicted and are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Obviously, we're going to follow the trials of the Wagners, and we'll likely post an update episode when and if convictions are handed down, but we'll probably wait until all four just to do one episode. Also, after we wrap up this episode, Ariel and I are going to work on our new discussion group. Right. So we will get that going. Yes. To, uh... So join. Talk about... Episodes. Yeah. And theories and what you think. and But this one mainly because it, there's no resolution right. at this point. So right. there's and still a lot to talk about. Right. And the, gosh, like the, the biggest thing that breaks my heart is they did this allegedly 
for custody of Sophia. But they murdered her entire ex- mom's extended family. Mom, they murdered her mother and her mother's extended family. And now her father's, her father and her father's family She's an orphan. are in jail. So she has nobody. Like it's what just, blows my mind is, all right, Jake was mm-hmm. the father of mm-hmm. Sophia and wanted custody. How on earth did he get his whole family on board with such a crazy... I don't know. Um, Mike DeWine has said that the whole family was, like, obsessed, quote-unquote, with custody of the kid. I don't understand. I mean, th- they said that they were wealthy, so and as far they could have made it happen, if and, it, you know? Yeah, and as far as I know, they were sharing custody pretty evenly. evenly yeah. So why? Yeah. Like, that's just senseless. Where the hell was Sophia the night they murdered her? Right, because she was with Jake, Jake that night, right. so who was keeping her? Yeah. It, yeah. And she was two. Right. Right. Was she, you know, in the car, mm-hmm. in the car seat with the car running? Oh, God. Oh God. Or did they leave or her with the grandmothers? Alone? Yeah, I mean, I don't with know. one of the grandmothers. So, what I want to leave you with is a poem which is inscribed on the headstone of the shared grave of Chris Sr., Dana, Chris Jr., Hannah, and Frankie Roden. And it reads, quote, You never said I'm leaving. You never said goodbye. You were gone before we knew it, and only God knows why. A million times we needed you, a million times we've cried. If love alone could have saved you, you never would have died. In life we loved you dearly, in death we love you still. In our hearts we hold a place that only you can fill. It broke our hearts to lose you, but you didn't go alone. For part of us went with you the day God took you home. End quote. (laughs) Sorry, that just... And I've I've read that poem multiple times. I've seen it before. It's just... It really... Yeah, that one's really struck me. So, yeah, we'll we'll definitely keep track of this and let you guys know. Set up a Google yeah, alert and let you guys know. Start that discussion yes. group. That way, if any of y'all come across something, you can let us know yeah. that way, or or send us a message, whatever. Yeah. So, well, y'all, that's the case of the Roden family massacre. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomegirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions.